This podcast is sponsored by Mental Health Declassified. MHD is a nonprofit organization that aims to create safe spaces within communities to break the stigma surrounding mental health and wellness. With the intent to recognize and highlight the connection between real life experiences and mental health through storytelling, they are advocating to bridge the gap between communities and accessible resources. Check out the link in my episode notes to learn more about Mental Health Declassified. Hey, welcome to The Revolutionized Mind, a platform about all things mental health. I'm your host, Angelica Galuzzo, and on this show, we use real stories and eye-opening conversations to make you feel less alone and a little more optimistic about what's ahead of you. Come on a journey with me. Bring your most authentic self and let's revolutionize the mind. Reforming society, repairing your mentality, restoring your life. This is The Revolutionized Mind. Hello, hello. Happy Friday, everybody. I hope you're doing amazing as always. And I thought it would be fun this week, maybe not fun, but cool to do a little mental health check-in with you all before we get into this week's episode. I obviously love doing these guest conversations, but I miss like talking to you. And even though I'm not actually talking to you, I miss like the connecting pieces of doing a podcast. So something I've been trying to do is do a mental health check-in literally every day to see where I'm at. And I like to do this on a scale from one to 10. I don't like to include zero because even if you're feeling really shitty, if you force yourself to say one, it sometimes just instills that little bit of hope or optimism that you need that things can be better even when you're not feeling the best. So today I'm actually feeling pretty good, um, which is quite different than it has been the last couple weeks. Today I would say I'm at about an eight. I was very productive today. I'm recording this at night. I got a lot done. I made time to read, go on a long walk, had lots of good food, and I'm just feeling like very content right now with where I'm at. So I'd say about an eight. And I guess just to include some like reflection questions, ones that I've been pondering as well for you to kind of consider before listening to the rest of this episode is... Number one, are you taking time for you? So obviously you're listening to this podcast right now. So hopefully that's like included in your whole self-care thing. But beyond that, beyond work, beyond school, beyond all the other things that you need to do, are you maybe carving out some time to pour into your own cup, whatever that looks like? Like I just said, for me, it was reading a book, going for a walk. For you, that might look like journaling or going out with friends, having social time, whatever it is, that's just my first question for you is, are you taking time for yourself? And if not, how can you include that in your day? And the second question is, are you taking care of your physical health? So I'm asking this because I've noticed a lot lately that I really have not been drinking water like at all. I have been so bad with hydration and I know how important water is for literally everything. It's not the cure, let me make that clear to all of our mental health issues, but it is just a super important thing that we need to be doing every day. So that's been a goal of mine this week is to just, you know, as soon as I wake up, fill up my little emotional support water bottle and take it with me wherever I go. If I'm working at my desk or if I'm working in my room, 
just make sure I have that bottle with me so it encourages me to drink more. And on that same topic, are you nourishing your body? Are you eating good food? Are you eating enough along with the water thing? I've been skipping breakfast a lot lately, which is like my favorite meal of the day. I love eating a good breakfast. I'm a huge yogurt parfait gal, but I've just kind of been like, you know, making my coffee and starting my work day. And it's one of those things that you don't like notice in the moment how much of an effect it has, but definitely catches up to you the more you do it. So those are two things for me, like I'm definitely calling myself out on is breakfast and water. I have not been doing a good job. So this week I've really tried to prioritize that and do both of those things before opening up my laptop for the day. And my last question for you again, obviously related to where I'm at right now, because these are the questions I'm asking myself, but what's motivating you these days? Do you have one thing that you look forward to when you wake up or is it on the horizon? What is something that is really feeding that soul energy or your passion? What is giving you that sense of purpose? And for me, honestly, it truly has been this podcast. I feel like the last few episodes I've put out have just been so insightful and interesting and have really given me a lot to think about. And I don't do this for the numbers, but more and more people have been downloading current episodes, past episodes, and it's just really encouraging to see. So I'm so happy that the people I'm bringing on are exciting you and hopefully teaching you some new things. And finally, on that note, I've also linked my podcast guest application form in the episode notes here, which is something I haven't shared on the podcast either. First of all, it's so wild that people actually apply to be on this show and I don't have to go around chasing people. It actually takes such a big weight off my shoulders, but it also just brings in the people who are super interested in talking about these things. So I'm super happy to put it out there. And if you're listening to this today and you want to be a guest on the podcast or you know somebody who is well-versed in the mental health space, either from personal experiences or educational ones, definitely send them the link and encourage them to apply. I just love connecting with people, as we all know, so wanted to share that here today as well. All right, wow, holy, this has been such a long intro. I'm sorry I had to listen to my voice so much. I swear I'm going to get to the conversation now, but just quickly introducing Elena is so amazing. She is a sweetheart, and she discusses a few different concepts that we haven't gotten into on this podcast yet before, but also that just like I've never heard of before. The first one being how we can view anxiety as a habit loop. And then, of course, we do a whole thing on hypnotherapy, which is all new to me. It was so, so interesting to hear it from her perspective. So there's lots of great content in this conversation, and I really hope you're able to learn a thing or two from Elena. Alrighty, I'm done. Thank you so, so much for listening to The Revolutionized Mind, and I hope you enjoy. So today I'm here with Elena Theophilatos, hope I said that right, who is a hypnotherapist and coach in Hawaii. So I'm really excited to dive into this particularly hypnotherapist concept that we haven't really discussed on this podcast before. So I'm excited to learn more from you. So before we dive in, do you want to just take a second to introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, my name is, as you said, Yelena Theotobatos, which is a mouthful, like I like to say to people. My first name is Russian. I'm Russian. And my last name is Greek. My husband is Greek. So I'm trying to make it easier for people in my life and just call me Elena or any variation on <laughs> that name because it's pretty much the same name 
and I'm fine. If, even if you call me Ilana, I won't be offended. <laughs> It'll be totally okay with me. And um, I am owner of My Blooming Heart Hypnotherapy and Coaching, where I am a hypnotherapist and a coach, just like you said. I like to work with women solopreneurs, um, guiding them in a search of inner quietude and sadness, and basically just helping them overcome anxiety because anxiety being my personal jam, like in my life, uh, even though it's been uh, just a few years since I've been able to like put my finger on it, I didn't necessarily have a name for it when I was younger, even though I started mental health for a good chunk of my life. And since I started my solopreneurship journey of my own, all of those anxieties came back right at me. So I decided like, oh, let's apply all the tools I know and actually help others to do the same. Amazing. Yeah, I love that. And it's so needed for sure. Like especially women entering this entrepreneurship space that has largely been dominated by men. A lot of insecurities and anxieties come with that. So I think you're in a really unique niche and something that is definitely going to help a lot of people. And so starting off today, I know you mentioned that anxiety was kind of your first experience with this. So can you talk about what that looked like for you and how that journey actually inspired you to begin working in this space? Uh, sure, uh, definitely. So for me, the first time I became really aware that that's a thing for me, anxiety, it was, um, I think, in the preparation towards the grad school when I was applying and I was like so just lost in terms of like if this is the right way for me to do to to go oh my god I'm gonna have all the student loans where am I gonna do after that and those months uh, building towards that finally like getting into grad school and doing the thing I noticed how my anxiety levels start increasing and the grad school definitely like completely took out my self-care uh, life out of the picture and I had no time for it. And I think this is where anxiety definitely had its uh, center stage <laughs> and an opportunity for its performance um, to really, really kick in. And I noticed how my anxiety was really tied together with habits that I created thinking that they helped me. And particularly it was, I, I got back into smoking tobacco that was my uh, thing when I was younger, when I was my like early, early 20s. And I gave it up since I meditated, I had my yoga, you know, everything that I, I was uh, using to nourish my body and my soul. But in grad school, all of that went out all the window, as I said. And I was back into this like no time, no space for myself. And I think like those cigarettes were that the only time that I had for myself. I felt like that, like cigarette smoking break in between of writing papers, endless papers that I had to write. And I would smoke and it gave me that temporary relief as I thought, even though as we know now, nicotine is actually a stimulant. It doesn't really calm your system down as it actually has an opposite effect. But for my body, for my brain, that, that temporary relief was just enough for it to remember to repeat that same behavior next time I got anxious. And for me, anxiety was um, like tension all over my body, not being able to take a full breath. My thoughts were just like all, all over the place. And 
I feel like that time that I took out of that intensity to smoke a cigarette in that case actually was um, was something that my body crave, my, my system craved, but the way I went about to do that got me into that habit loop that I had to undo eventually, of course. But in the meantime, I also learned a lot how anxiety itself is perpetuated as a habit loop, which I can speak to uh, a little bit as well. Does that answer your question? Yeah, no, thank you for explaining what that looked like. I think, unfortunately, a lot of people can relate to that, especially in these high intense environments, such as grad school. There's just so much going on. You often do kind of put yourself and your own self-care on the back burner Mm -hmm. because there's so many other pressing things to do. And as we both know now, as mental health advocates, like putting yourself first is such a big part of your wellness journey and just being a person. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's interesting to hear how kind of that smoking a cigarette break was like your one time for yourself and you thought it was what you needed, but it was actually producing so many negative effects for you. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I guess like expanding on that habit and anxiety relationship, I know you talk about that a lot. Um, So what have you actually learned about habits And why do you think it's important for people to know? Uh, The most important thing that I learned about habits, um, specifically as it pertains to anxiety, is that anxiety is itself is a habit loop. And I believe if we have an understanding of that loop, we can actually have a more compassion to ourselves and more curiosity. We will have a more bit of a approaching attitude towards this whole thing because usually we try to avoid anxiety feeling being with it and that actually contributes to us having it in the long term Uh, and I can speak a little more to that anxiety loop and that will give you an idea what are the building blocks of every habit every I guess not so great habit (laughs) and you will see that the same the very same building blocks are included in anxiety loop So there's three elements to each habit loop. Uh, There is a trigger of some sorts, and I'll give you an example in just a moment. There is a behavior that we engage in a response to that trigger. And there is some kind of a result that feels rewarding to our brain that we get out of this whole process. And it might not necessarily feel rewarding to us, it just has to feel rewarding to our brain, which means that even it's something that is um, not necessarily pleasant. Um, like, to be honest, like worrying, it's not really pleasant to me. But it ironically takes away um, the feeling of fear. It, it kind of takes, how do you say, it takes the edge of it, off of the feeling of fear. And it allows us to avoid feeling fear that is a natural response to like, some sort of a trigger and that's enough for our brain to like say oh okay that feel good for just that blip of a time but it's enough for our brain to say like okay next time you have this trigger and I'm gonna give you an example I'll remind you to do that same behavior because it felt good you know like it felt good let's do it again but the result uh, that we actually getting out of it and that's what we don't notice until we're actually very mindful of that. Take the time and pause. Like in my case, I should have paused if I knew better. <laughs> and later I knew better and I did. To really 
see that after the smoking the cigarette, there was maybe that temporary relief that I had for just a split second. But after that, my heart actually rate uh, increased, my breathing got even more tense, and my it, it didn't really do anything. I went back into my world, and I was as intense as I was. But I, I missed that completely because my brain was hyper-focused on that little bit of relief that I got. And the example that I want to give, that's an example of a typical anxiety habit loop. Let's say we have a trigger of some sorts, and a lot of times for anxiety is an uncertainty of any kind. Uh, let's say for uh, the people I work with right now, a lot of anxiety comes in when we just begin to put out some kind of a product or program out there in the world. We're like building up to a launch. And uh, we're still like in this process of like creating the whole thing. We're not sure of the results. Yes, we know how to do, we know the process, but it's natural to have some self-doubts, you know, about the whole thing. Because in this transitory sort of moment, they can emerge and that will be our trigger. Like, oh, what if, you know, a typical what if question, like this doesn't work out. And um, the behavior that we engage in response to that trigger is a lot of times worrying, which we don't even consider a behavior. I didn't. I was like, what? Worrying is a behavior, but it is something that we do. It's like a mental rehashing of everything that possibly could go wrong. And as a result to this behavior, something that actually feels rewarding for our brain that makes it repeated is a number of things. Uh, first of all, it, as I said, it allows us to avoid that feeling of fear that we naturally feel when those difficult thoughts arise. And worrying can feel better, as, as weird as it sounds, that they're feeling the fear of itself. Then it also can give us this uh, sense of control over the situation even though we might not be able necessarily to act on it, like we are not really seeing the whole process through to see our product succeed because it's only going to happen in the future. Right now, worrying can make us feel like we're actually problem solving. We're doing something. We're doing to assure that it's actually happened. Even if it's all we're doing is just multiplying those thoughts in reality. So it can feel better than doing nothing. And every time, whatever that is, it makes us feel better than, makes us feel like we're in control, will um, feel like a reward to our brain and get it to repeat this action. But the problem with worrying why it is not an effective strategy for coping with anxiety, because a lot of times why we engage in those worry thoughts as as they get kind of darker and a bit more scarier the feeling of fear in our body responds to that and increases and as the fear response increases in our body the thoughts get darker and as the thoughts get darker the fear response again gets gets even more stronger all the way to the point where that fear is so strong that the thinking part of our brain, the rational part of the brain, they can kind of like talk ourselves through that point and kind of calm ourselves down, completely goes offline. And the fear response is so strong that we feel like whatever is that is that we're afraid of that is potentially happening in the future is happening right now. And it's so vivid and real that 
we open ourselves up to all the compulsory behaviors like smoking included because the 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 part of our brain that would otherwise kind of allow us to take a pause and slow down is offline it's not operating anymore and we so vulnerable and that's why i really advocate for people to see um boring as this uh, like very important habit to tackle when it comes to anxiety because it really if we're not careful and we slip into this uh anxiety worry loop kind of situation we can get to the point when we have such hard time calming ourselves down and it's so easy to give in into every other habit that is out there to to grab our attention so without understanding we can next time we in that worry loop we're like oh okay wait a minute this is happening i know where we're going to get me it's better if i notice those thoughts for what they are and take a moment and pause and calm myself down like do some breathing do some anything that we already most of the time know which is not smoking cigarettes uh that actually helps and then i'll come back to thinking because then i'll be able to navigate that process better and uh come to some sort of um peaceful more calming conclusion instead of allowing myself to to continue to go and get more activated to the point that it, we can't control anything thank you for listening <laughs> to this rant <laughs> <laughs> no worries that was really interesting side note have you read the book atomic habits by james clear oh i haven't but it's on my list uh but i can give you the book that i've been reading that's um two books that's been inspiring me everybody telling me to read this book and i'm like i know i know that this is it <laughs> uh unwinding anxiety this is where i'm getting all this information from and the craving mind those two books i started with the craving mind because i was really wanted to quit smoking at that time and then moved on to unwinding anxiety both by the same author dr jod um brewer who is a psychiatrist and researcher he's amazing <laughs> yeah no i will definitely check those out and i feel like you would really like atomic habits cuz while you were talking it's like a lot of the same concepts that are in that book and um i like how you kind of explained like that relationship in more of a concrete form like that is the habit loop it's the trigger the behavior the response and it's often that like dopamine kick that you get whatever it is and that can come from both quote unquote positive or negative behaviors exactly. um it's just whatever your brain feels you're like getting something out of so that's really interesting in relation to anxiety because i feel like so many people can relate to that and anxiety does operate from your emotional brain not your rational brain so kind of catching that before your emotions take over is key mhm mm exactly yeah amazing well that was really interesting and we're going to switch gears a little bit cuz i'm super excited to mm -hmm. learn more about hypnotherapy um so can you just talk about what actually brought you into the practice and more broadly just describe what hypnosis actually is and some of the benefits that come with it sure uh so i'll start how i got into this field first and foremost i never really imagined myself becoming a hypnotherapist uh i was in my last year of undergrad in new york city doing psych and that was like my second undergrad i did undergrad in finance in russia that will be important i guess as a back story to this whole thing 
And I was like, okay, I really want to be a psychotherapist or some counselor of some sorts. But somehow I was convinced for me to be able to do that, I would have to go and do another six years to do a PhD program of some sorts. And I really didn't want to do that. I'm like, oh, seriously, it'll be like 10 years of my life. And I'm got to be some other way, uh, you know. And at that point in time, I was in a long-term relationship with a beautiful person whose sister was and still is a very well-known clinical hypnotherapist. And she invited me into her training for free to just come. She personally is not a fan of the whole mental health system that we have in the country because she believes that it like puts people in the boxes and have people come in for like 5 million sessions and still not giving them results. So she was like, just come. <laughs> we'll give you some tools. Uh, you'll be like on your way. And I did that training. And I did another training year after, uh, but I still went to grad school because I was actually afraid of becoming entrepreneur myself at that time. And here I am doing this. So I went to grad school, came out of it, still not doing hypnotherapy, you know, continuing on with everything that I learned and not doing my social work career. And then COVID hit and I moved to Hawaii at the same time, pretty much. And here I was, uh, with the hiring freeze and all of the social work positions in the state, not knowing what to do with myself, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go back and learn more about hypnotherapy. Why not? And I studied with a beautiful person. Uh, he is actually a psychotherapist and psychologist himself. And I learned his uh, like take on it and his method. And it was so inspiring to me. I was like, oh my God, where were you in my grad school years where I didn't know what to do with my patients that's how we called them at that time um and it was so inspiring to me that I wanted to continue on learning and um building on that method and here I am doing that so this is how I got here so now in terms of what hypnosis is which is a million dollar question there is a number of definitions out there that people have come up with you know, because uh, hypnosis has been studied in the scientific uh, psychology labs all around the world, and people need a definition of what they're studying to like agree, like what are we doing here? And still, um, giving a definition to hypnosis, it's like uh, trying to define love or trying to define spirituality because it's a, such a subjective experience, and it's really different for everybody. So uh, I like to try to describe some characteristics of it but I can't really give a definition um, so I like to say that the key element of my working um, description not even definition of hypnosis is that of element of uh, intentional absorption into some sort of experience it can be a thought it can be a feeling it can be expectation it can be a memory and what I like to add right after that is to uh, speak a little more of a close cousin of hypnosis, uh, which a lot of time we forget about, uh, but it'll give people a better idea uh, than trying to talk about hypnotherapy in like those um, vague terms. I like to talk about guided meditation as a way to introduce hypnotherapy in the picture as well, because to be honest, I believe that hypnotherapy or hypnosis is just a, either it's really well done rebranding of guided meditation 
or it's, uh, I like to say, guided meditation and steroids, because people who are guided meditators, they are not necessarily trained in uh, using language in a way that hypnotherapists are. And also hypnotherapists, if they are good hypnotherapists, especially if they have some kind of a mental health degree under their belt, has some kind of very specific therapeutic modality they're working with. Because hypnosis in and of itself is not a therapy, is just a tool, is just a catalyzer, is a way of delivering certain suggestions. And what the person offers as a suggestion really depends on where they're coming from as a clinician. It can be very different if you are a psychodynamic therapist or if you are cognitive behavioral or solution focused. You know, all of all of those things really matter. And hypnosis is being just a delivery system for those things. And why do I like to say that hypnotherapy is just a rebrand of guided meditation? Because just think about guided meditation of like loving kindness meditation, for example. It's all about evoking a feeling of love, of kindness and gratitude that we can then apply, that we can build association for in a therapeutic manner. And in the case of loving kindness meditation, we take that feeling and a lot of times we put it back onto ourselves. It really helps people who struggle with self-criticism, self-judgment. I was one of those people and still am at times. And I was applying uh, loving kindness meditation to help myself to evoke that feeling and bring it back in to apply it to myself. And that's basically the same thing. I mean, that's one of the many things that we can do in hypnotherapy, but evoke a feeling. Let's say we evoke a memory of confidence. Here you are building towards something in your career or your entrepreneurial journey, and you're lacking confidence. But I bet there was a time in your life when you were really confident, and you might be still very confident in something like, I'm very confident in my dancing. <laughs> I know it's it's not really like related to my entrepreneurial journey, but it's the same feeling. And the beauty of hypnosis is that we can evoke the feeling even in a different context. And then we can like copy and paste it, like, like I like to say, into a different context uh, where you need that resource. And that's a, an amazing thing that we somehow are much more able to do when we are invited to be kind of internally absorbed in our like inner landscape, like I like to say, it's not really easy to just tell anyone, okay, so think about that memory in the past when you were confident and then copy and paste it into the future context when you need it. It's It takes a little more than maybe some people can do that and awesome <laughs> for them. But for most of us, we need a bit of an experience. Like I call it experiential learning experiential evoking when we evoke that feeling and we put it in a context when we need it and I think that's one of the beautiful things of hypnosis speaking about the benefits of it is that it allows us to take a resource from some other place in our life and put it where it belongs so to say what it also does just by the fact that we are uh, taking a moment out of our busy life we're just here uh, present with whatever else is coming up for us in this experience. We're kind of stepping out of our normal um, status quo frame of mind where we created the problem in the first place. We can kind of suspend that thinking for just a moment, just enough 
for us to come in with a different frame of mind and replace that one that is not really functioning for us in the most effective way and create a different belief, create a different resource that we can utilize. And we can do it in that beautiful experiential way. But I, I have a couple more examples, but I'm trying not to overwhelm you guys with information because I, I can easily do that because I can speak about it forever. But experiential learning and being able to copy and paste the resources from someplace other to where we need them, that's the best benefits that I can see in using hypnosis as a way to create those positive changes. That's super interesting. And I especially really like how, you know, you said that you can't really define it. It's more of just creating this experience for other people to make what they want out of it. And you're just kind of providing that space and some of the tools to get them there. And if you do have other examples, I'm more than happy to hear them if you do want to share. Yeah, sure. Um, I want to give you an example of like that copying and pasting the resource. Uh, a very specific one. I worked with a lady entrepreneur. She has been a dance teacher and movement modalities teacher for a very long time. And she was just uh, beginning her career as a coach. And she was kind of overwhelmed with uh, all the like moving parts and pieces that she needed to somehow put together to make sure that her schedule flows uh, while she's incorporating her dance and her coaching. And, oh, my God, I have to create a website, you know, all, all the all the things that we have to deal with. And she had had time prioritizing. And then she would feel like a failure because she hadn't accomplished enough. And that would make her feel uh, like procrastinating even more and more anxiety and on and on it's kind of built on itself and we did a bunch of things but one of those things that I did specifically in a guided journey that I created for her is that I invited her to consider that that uh, as a choreographer and dance teacher she's routinely have to make choices about what movement she was going to be keeping in her dance routine and which one she's letting go because she wants to keep the flow of the dance going. And she does it so automatically. She doesn't even, you know, notice that that's something she actually build over time. It didn't just come to her like this. But at this point, it's just an easy thing that comes to her. And now what we want to do is to allow her to get absorbed into the possibility. And that's what hypnosis is a lot of times is an invitation to get absorbed into possibility of something that you can use that same very skill, that talent that you have and put it in a different context. And I invited her to just envision herself like how she, uh, you know, what kind of mental processes go into her making that choice about the movement, how she's then uh, stands there and like decided, okay, that's not the one. I'll just keep this one and follows through with it until she sees if that's a good movement for this particular piece of music. And that was an experience that she had. It wasn't just me conversationally talking to her about it, which can help in and of itself. But by her actually having an experience of it, she had an aha moment of like, oh, right, I already got it. And first of all, it increased her confidence. It just gave her this kind of um, impetus to try again, you know, to approach this difficult situation of prioritizing her business 
all over again. And also with that new understanding that like, right, I have it in some other place. I can do it here. And I'm not sure how it works, to be honest. And not a lot of people know. I don't think anybody knows. They're trying to study this interesting thing, how we can copy and paste this resource and skill from one place to another, which doesn't happen like deliberately thinking about it. We don't necessarily think, okay, I'm just going to do this thing now. I'm going to apply this skill over here. Somehow our um, mind is able just to uh, learn like by modeling that like how a lot of times we learn in life and just apply it in the right place. And here we are doing this supposedly new thing for ourselves, but by using everything that we already have, which makes it easier for us. Yeah, that's really interesting to hear it like in a practical sense, because I think so many people have misconceptions about hypnotherapy and don't really know what hypnosis can actually provide. So on that note, what are some of the biggest misconceptions that you have heard about hypnotherapy and how do you actually respond to these statements? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that's a moment of like, okay, here we go. That's another one coming my way. Of course, I hear a lot of them a lot of times. I created actually a series of lives uh, on my Instagram account just to speak to them and really like clear the air of those misconceptions and the top three that most popular ones and i'm probably gonna not gonna speak to all of them because it's just gonna take too much time is um number one is that uh hypnosis is something some kind of a phenomena that removes the so-called critical part of our mind and allows the suggestion to go straight into the subconscious mind that's the number one. That's a lot of times I have people explain hypnosis works. Um, and I have an understanding why, because we just don't understand how hypnosis works and we have to have some kind of idea. But um, aside from that, the second one that I get most uh, is that people want me to help them to retrieve repressed memories of maybe perhaps some kind of a trauma uh, by using hypnosis and I don't do it and it's because uh, not because hypnosis per se it's, it's it's but it's because um how reconstructive our memory is every time we go and remember something we actually reconstruct that memory we might add a bit of a detail to it and sometimes the details that we add can have a major impact in how we integrate that memory and I can speak more about the scandal that happened in 1970s and 80s in a therapeutic world when people were using hypnosis to help people uh, remember repress sexual trauma memories. And a lot of times it actually led people to believe into events that never happened and caused major chaos in the families that, you know, suffered from that. So I'm really like cautious over there. I don't want to do more harm than good. So hypnosis, in my opinion, is not a good memory retrieval device. And the last one is that hypnosis somehow gives the person, the hypnotist, an ability to control other person's minds. And the first one about the critical factor of the mind and that one, I feel like they're a little bit of tied together. And I can speak more about them if uh, you feel like that's a good topic to 
go into or I can speak about the other one. What would you rather me do? Yeah, I think the one that people think that you can control the other person's mind because largely the media, that's how it's always been portrayed. And Mm -hmm. I think that's what a lot of people do believe. Yes, you're right on point there because it is the media and specifically stage hypnosis shows that are is an entertainment that a lot of people actually like and they're very popular in high schools and colleges and if you look at the person who is one of those participants on a stage they do some silly stuff uh like working like a dog and i don't know you name it i haven't watched that many stage shows but i have just to understand what it's all about and the explanation that I got from uh, my mentor, and it's all in his book, I can give people some resources to research on their own after. Don't take my word for it. You know, go, go, go research that. Is that in the case of stage hypnosis, it's more about social psychology than anything else uh, that creates that show that looks like people are uh, lost there like willpower and they completely just obeying to what the person is telling them to do in reality is a well-staged experience the way the hypnotist chooses his subjects for this uh, show he um, makes sure that the people who end up on a stage are liking being part of the show they want to perform they like the attention and you can you can kind of test it in the preliminary um task that he gives them before he gets them up he also makes sure that those people are like really following the directions they are not that group of people that uh wants to end up on a stage and actually uh, they have the secret agenda of showing that they are too strong-minded for the stage hypnosis to um, make them quote-unquote obey their commands there's that group of people that kind of want to prove everybody else that that's not true and the stage hypnotist really wants to make sure that they're not going to end up there because the stage hypnotist is interested in those people who are going to put on a good show. And after he selects that group of people who is suitable for that role, who kind of a little bit exhibitionist in, in some way because they like that attention, now then they have all of this pressure on top of them to perform, to put on a good show. Everybody's looking at them. And that's why I feel like those shows are most popular in high schools and colleges, because in high schools, peer relationships, peer pressure is everything. It's so important for everybody involved. Then when you end up on a stage, uh, first of all, you can become a center of attention and you can make all of your friends laugh. And then you can blame it on hypnosis. It wasn't me. It was hypnosis. It's like, I feel like alcohol can be that same thing. Sometimes people like there is even a song like blaming on alcohol, like because it's a perfect excuse. You know, you can have the most fun in your life. And then you say like, oh, wait a minute. It wasn't me. Uh, that was just that thing that happened to me. But ultimately, it, they're all doing it willingly. Whether they realize it or not, they're playing into the whole setup that the hypnotist, the stage hypnotist creates. And unfortunately, even though it creates a really good show for everybody to watch, it's very funny. It perpetuates that myth, that misconception that hypnotism how controls the mind. Because why in the world anybody would be willing to do those things? 
well, social psychology, that's why. Yeah, I think that's really interesting, especially hearing it from that like psychological perspective and how it impacts the people who are watching, the people who are participating. And like you said, like, although it's good in the moment, it's fun, everybody's enjoying it, like it does just lead into the stereotype that puts such a negative image on the practice as a whole. So I think like having this episode and doing everything that you do, kind of breaking down these myths and really speaking to what is behind all that is really eye-opening for people who have maybe ingrained these beliefs. Yeah. Thank you. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess wrapping up this episode today, using everything that you've learned through your journey and through your academic work, if you could go back and tell your younger self that was heavily struggling with anxiety, what advice would you give her? I think the number one advice I would give her, I'm still giving it to myself to this day, uh, is you cannot think your way out of anxiety. Thinking turns into worrying really quickly and worrying only increases that feeling of anxiety and makes you feel like you're losing control over the situation and makes you completely dismiss all the good things that's still going for you. And it's a very important moment to differentiate between useless rumination. I used to call my mind rumination station because I would notice I'm like, okay, and here we go. Like, it's just endless, endless. <laughs> and noticing when what you think is it's actually taking you towards the actionable plan. There is a two very different scenarios. When you have an actionable plan, even if it's not like the best plan in the world right now, but you know what you're going to do next, this is the moment to stop the thinking and go back into whatever you're doing. A lot of times it means calming your body down, doing some exercises like breathing, working out or talking to a friend that brings your nervous system back into the balance so that you can revisit that planning after in a more of a calm state of the mind when we don't sleep into that emotional part of our brain as much when we stay centered so this is like the main thing that i'm still working and building as a skill as we talk as i live my life of like reminding myself calm your body first don't try to think your way out of anxiety because that doesn't work and if you have a plan stick to it and Remember to believe in yourself, have self-trust, and I know it's easier said than done, but you can do it by remembering all of your gifts, all of your strength, all of your skills that you have, and all of the people in the world that can help you to take you through this uh, transitioning uncertain moment in your life of some kind. You got this. <laughs> I love that. And I think it kind of takes in that hypnosis approach as well, kind of creating that experience for yourself, for you to put yourself in the best headspace in whatever context you're in. But okay. I think it's really interesting. And what you shared today has been really eye-opening. And I know that hopefully anybody listening to this will learn a few things, especially about the anxiety loop that you shared, as well as what hypnosis actually entails. So Elena, thank you so, so much for coming on and for sharing all your knowledge and experience with us. And I really appreciate it. Thank you. I really appreciate this opportunity to speak and share my passion. And um, yeah, I'll stay in touch. You can always find me on Instagram at my booming heart hypnotherapy. There is a 
symbol somewhere in between. But yeah, and ask me away. I love those questions about hypnotherapy specifically. This is me in my element. So thank you so much again. And everybody have a beautiful day to yourself. Uh, yeah, that's my wish for you. Thank you. To be completely honest, I have always been skeptical and scared of the whole topic of hypnotherapy, largely because the only thing I knew about it was what I saw in movies and on TV. And it always was this whole thing of like the hypnotist taking control of the other person's mind and them doing things against their own will. And obviously humans are incredibly impressionable. So we like inherit that information and that's all we believe. So to hear it from Elena, who not only practices hypnotherapy, but also does have mental health related degrees, is just so interesting to hear how she incorporates it into her work and how she's able to support people using this tool. I also really like how she described it as a tool to support healing. It's not a therapy itself. It's something that you can use in the therapy space. And I think just like framing it like that definitely gives you another way to look at it. And I love busting myths, so I'm so glad that Alina could speak to some of those and kind of come at it from her own perspective and experience to inform and educate people on what hypnotherapy actually is, which sounds like an incredible tool. I've never done it myself. Kind of interested in looking into it now, but it just is one of many modalities that you can use in your healing journey. And as well, I really, really like what she was saying about anxiety as a habit loop. I think, you know, we've talked about anxiety, we've talked about habits, but kind of combining them together is something that we haven't discussed on this podcast, like I said. So obviously people resonate with different things. Maybe this one mentality or reframe doesn't work for you and that's completely fine. But if it does resonate with you, I feel like it can really change your relationship with your anxiety, which is really what it's all about. It's not being scared of that feeling or like trying to shy away from it. It's really leaning into it and trying to understand why it's there, what it's trying to teach you, and then just adapting your behaviors or coping appropriately. So anyway, Elena, thank you so, so much for coming on and for sharing all of your knowledge, your stories, your experiences with us. I think this is just another stepping stone to making people more aware of what's out there and how we can better take care of ourselves and our well-being. Thank you all so, so much for taking time out of your, I'm sure, very busy days to listen to this episode. I hope you were able to take something away, and I also hope you enjoyed the little check-in at the beginning. Reminder, drink your water, eat your good food, get outside, treat yourself with love and care, and I'll be back with another episode next Friday.